Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, where you will find what the NIV calls the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, throughout our series, you may have noticed, but uh, I've also been giving you in our our series on the parables of Jesus, I've also been giving you several alternate titles. And um, my method behind that is maybe to put a title in your head that perhaps may better highlight what the parable is most trying to highlight. And so one alternate title, at least for this parable, might be the parable of the rich man in life and in death. Unlike last week's parable of the unjust steward, this one is fairly straightforward if, once again, we keep in mind that parables are shadows, that's why we're calling the series Beyond the Shadow, and like shadows, like our own shadows, you can tell some things about what's casting a shadow by looking at its shadow, but you can't tell everything about what's casting the shadow by looking at its shadows. And a parable is like that. It's a shadow of the heavenly realm. It's a shadow of the spiritual realm. It's a shadow of God and his kingdom, uh, brilliantly made out of the stuff of this kingdom, of physical stuff, of stuff that we see and feel every day. The shadow casts into that kingdom, telling us something about the spiritual realm and showing just how close the two are. So it's not that complicated a parable if uh, we allow it to be a shadow. Let's, um, let's just jump right in to the parable this morning. I'm reading beginning at verse 19, Luke 16, verse 19. Jesus is speaking. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of 
torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the very word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. One of the things, maybe you noticed, but one of the things that we notice immediately about this parable, and it's unique from any parable that Jesus tells, and so it tends to jump out those unique things, but one of the things we notice is it's the only parable that Jesus tells where anyone has a name. Did you notice that when we read it this morning? Did that sound a little odd to you to find a name in a parable? And if so, your instincts are right. It's the only one Jesus tells with a name. And because two of the three principal characters have a name, Abraham and Lazarus, because two of them are named, maybe it's even more obvious to us that one principal character is not rich man does not have a name. This fact stands out even more because Jesus bothers to give a name to Abraham and Lazarus, but not the rich man. So why the names in this parable? Well, we can't know for sure, but one strong possibility at least for Lazarus being named is that his name means God helps. And so Right from the beginning, second line of the parable, the name Lazarus, God helps, foreshadows that this poor man thrown at this gate, that God is with him, notices him, sees him, and will vindicate him. His name, God helps, foreshadows this. Perhaps another reason for his name, God helps, is it creates a a stark contrast, helps create the contrast that the parable's trying to create between Lazarus, God helps, and the rich man. Because while God indeed helps Lazarus, the rich man does not. It's also been suggested that Abraham is named because he is regarded as the father of Israel the father of the Jews. And while in torment, did you notice the rich man uses that title, that family title, Father Abraham. Calls him Father three times, a a number of completeness. Three times he says, Father Abraham. Almost as if perhaps the rich man is appealing to or relying on his Jewish heritage to vindicate him or at least entitle him to some small measure of relief from his pain. But as Abraham's response quickly reveals, the rich man's predicament cannot be avoided simply because Abraham is his father, simply because he's Jewish, simply because as a Jew he belongs to the covenant of God. He's one of God's people. And in fact, 
It's rather ironic because actually the rich man's Jewishness makes him more accountable. Because as Abraham's response indicates, as a Jew, the rich man of all people, as a person of God, this man of all people should understand why he's in his present state. Because as a person of God, he's been especially given and knows Moses, Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He knows those words as a person of God. And he knows the prophets. And both Torah and the prophets, indeed all of Scripture, with its perhaps primary emphasis when it comes to Christian witness, the responsibility that God's people have for the poor and those who struggle. In fact, we'd be here all morning, literally, if we would try to take a look at every Old Testament passage where God clearly tells his people he wants them to care for the poor. You take Deuteronomy 15 for just one example where God says, If there's a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Rather be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. And, And lending in this chapter, it highlights this same chapter in Deuteronomy 15, the year of Jubilee, where debts between Jews were canceled every seven years. Wow, radical stuff, yes? Maybe we can get our mortgage lender to follow Deuteronomy 15. And God directs in the same chapter, there should be no no poor among you, he says, if you obey my command to care for the poor. And so God's people, including the rich men, had the words of Moses when it came especially to care for the poor. And as for the prophets, oh my word, we could pick any one of them. There's no exception where you don't find this theme. But maybe no better example for one or two this morning than Amos and Isaiah. Amos, whose book is literally a sustained warning against the rich who trample the heads of the poor. Or Isaiah, where God says, share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer shelter. When you see the naked, clothe him. Don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. You can hear God's heart. In the parable, the rich man and his brothers have no excuse precisely because Abraham is their father. Because as people of God, they had God's words in Moses and the prophets. They had these scriptures clearly stating God's command to care for the poor, which they chose to ignore. The fact that Abraham is their father doesn't change their accountability to these commands. The fact that any person who is saved by grace doesn't change the accountability of the people of God to these commands to care for the poor. In fact, it creates the accountability because they are people of God. And the irony, the deep irony, is the rich man in appealing to Abraham as father 
only further justifies his present condition. And on this issue of names, perhaps, perhaps the most interesting part is the rich man has no name. Does Jesus leave him nameless? Does he highlight his namelessness when the other two principal characters are named? Does Jesus leave him nameless to suggest, you know what? The rich man could be anyone. Is the rich man nameless to to beg the question of all who heard the parable, now including us here today? Is the man nameless to create in us the question, am I the rich man? Or collectively, are we? Hey, the, the rich man doesn't have a name. The others do. Is the rich man me? Is it us? And while the brothers aren't principal characters in the parable, the question of their fate is really where the parable ends, and so they're highlighted as such. Five brothers, five perhaps to highlight and parallel the five books of Moses. The five brothers aren't named either, and the parable leaves their fate unresolved, begging the question, will they listen to Moses and the prophets and avoid their brother's fate? Will they see Lazarus at their gate? And because these brothers aren't named, just like with the rich man, the question for us becomes perhaps, will we see and respond to Lazarus at our gate? And while scholars debate whether or not Jesus is referring specifically to his own resurrection there at the end of the parable, since we today live after the reality of the resurrection, maybe the question for us is then, will we see Lazarus at our gate even more? And shouldn't we even more? Because Jesus rose from the dead, fulfilling Moses and the prophets. Will we see and respond to Lazarus at our gate? Last week, we, we looked at a very difficult parable, the parable of the unjust steward. I suggested to you that the thrust of that parable, the message of that parable, was for us to, to, to use our stuff, use our possessions, use our money, wisely in light of our ultimate eternal fate. And now look, the very next parable that Luke records is about a rich man who has stuff, but he doesn't use his money wisely in light of his ultimate eternal fate. Huh. Maybe we were on to something with the meaning of the unjust steward parable. The rich man is not using his money wisely in light of the last day, and ironically again, by not spending his money on the poor, it cost him. It cost him everything. It cost him something all the money in the world couldn't buy because he wasn't willing to see and respond to Lazarus at his gate. Will we? 
Will we see and respond to Lazarus at our gate? And speaking of gates, it's perhaps noteworthy that Lazarus is at the rich man's gate rather than simply nearby or by a window or even by a door because a gate in Bible times is very significant more than just a door or a passageway. A gate was symbolic at least of the official place of business. It's likely in the rich man's estate that his gate provided a place to sit and to honor guests, and it's likely that the rich man conducted his business at his gate. And it's at his gate that Lazarus has been thrown down. The NIV's English translation of was laid doesn't do justice, in my opinion, to the Greek verb here, which means thrown down. And thrown down at the rich man's place of business is this desperate man named God Helps. Some have suggested thrown down means Lazarus was crippled as well. He didn't because he couldn't get there on his own. And thrown down carries with it a bit, doesn't it, that whoever put him there doesn't much care, right? Maybe cared enough to throw him at the rich man's gate, but boy, this is a different picture than those friends of the paralyzed man that studiously dug through the roof so that their man could see Jesus, isn't it? Lazarus doesn't even have any friends. He's thrown down at the rich man's gate. Just throw him down there. And then, the revolting picture of dogs licking wounds and open sores. This isn't culturally a picture of Lassie trying to comfort someone. Culturally, dogs were wild and vicious and always on the prowl for food. In this case, drawn by the salty content of Lazarus' blood. They're not licking Lazarus' wounds to comfort. Others suggest Lazarus may have been so disabled, maybe even completely paralyzed, but so disabled, so hurting that he couldn't even push or scare these dogs, tugging and licking at his wounds away. Just to keep them off him. And such a wounded, hurting human being is thrown down at the rich man's place of business. And he's ignored by the one living in luxury, more literally ignored by the one enjoying himself brilliantly, conducting his business in the very gate 
Lazarus, God helps, is at. His dire need begging for notice and help. That picture of the rich man going about his business with Lazarus thrown at the very place or at least symbol of the rich man's business reminded me especially this week with Christmas around the corner of a Christmas carol in Ebenezer Scrooge. One of the most moving statements in this iconic Christmas tale has got to be by Marley's ghost despairing over life's opportunities misused. Remember that scene? Scrooge trembling with fear and and just beginning perhaps to be moved to share or taste in Marley's guilt. And defensively, Scrooge says to Marley, his former business partner, but you are always a good man of business, Jacob. Fascinating that the man's name in Dickens' tale is Israel, isn't it? Upon which the ghost cries out in anguish like he's been punched. Business! Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. In life, Jacob Marley didn't see Lazarus as his business. Didn't see Lazarus at his gate. In life, the rich man in the parable didn't either. In death, both see the error of their ways. I wondered, I wondered this week if Dickens, who by reports I read was indeed a believer, I wonder if indeed Dickens had this parable in mind when he wrote A Christmas Carol. And I thought, however could he not? Brilliantly, Dickens, he allows spirits to go back and warn the living. While the parable's message is clear that the warning had already been given through Moses and the prophets. And so Dickens, as he's alive, obviously, says, well, I'm still alive. I can still warn. So he writes a Christmas carol in this life, of course, brilliantly using some from the dead who warns us, as the parable does, that humankind is our business. Do we see Lazarus at our gate. Will we see and respond to Lazarus at our gate? I came across a couple of videos this week. I asked John to splice them together. I thought together they'd be even more powerful. And 
see what you think. I think they really help bring this question home for us today. Will we see and respond to Lazarus at our gate, especially as we near Christmas? Let's watch. There are roughly six billion people in the world. And one billion of them do not have access to clean drinking water. 20% of the world consumes 86% of its resources. Tonight, there are 6 billion people in the world, and somewhere around 800 million of them will go to bed hungry. There are 6 billion people in the world, and of that 6 billion, 1 billion survive on less than one American dollar a day. Another 2 billion survive on less than two American dollars a day. There are 2.2 billion kids in the world. Of those 2.2 billion kids, half of them, a billion of them, live in poverty. Now, I don't know your worldview. I don't know your perspective, your background, or your religion, but that is not right.
Rob Bell, who you saw in the video, is right. The huge disparity between rich and poor is wrong. Our parable this morning gives this same message. Please note, the parable is not attacking wealth. Wealth is not the problem. Wealth and poverty is. The problem is wealth that doesn't see and respond to poverty and suffering. The parable attacks the idea that wealth and possessions are for our own use and are are owned somehow without responsibility to God and other people, without a need to love God and love others. The injustice that's corrected in the parable at the end is the injustice of wealth and poverty. There are no haves and have-nots in the kingdom of God. Bell's right. The huge disparity between rich and poor is wrong. And Christmas, once again, and my goodness, brothers and sisters, Christmas especially, we have again an opportunity to do something about the wrong. Another opportunity to see and respond to Lazarus at our gate. You heard many such opportunities here as a church that you can choose to be a part of. You heard Ryan this morning with the opportunity of a food drive to help feed Lazarus. So bring food, won't you? You heard him mention recently we've had the boxes of items for needy people in Juarez. Do you know that ministry asked us to help by providing 150 boxes and they finally had to tell us, stop, we don't need any more when we reach to 200. Good job. Way to see Lazarus at your gate. In a couple of weeks, we'll bring back last year's Red Envelope Initiative with a new little twist this year. After all, we have to keep you guessing a little bit with that one. But rest assured that the aim of Red Envelope will once again to be, see, to be seeing and responding to Lazarus at our gate in a personal way. And won't you choose, please, this year, whether you did or didn't last year, won't you all choose, please, to participate in a red envelope initiative? Bring a little extra money in two weeks to put into a red envelope, and we'll collect it, and then we'll redistribute it and give it back to all who want to participate together with something that's a little different and a surprise in the envelope that you'll look for. Will you, will you participate in that this year? And the Christmas program's coming. Hey, what a neat idea to buy an extra ticket for someone that maybe can't afford one. 
What a neat idea for someone who'd like to come and just be served and ministered to by all the time and effort that these people who are putting it on are wanting to give. Allow them to come and experience music. Allow them to come and experience a story that will highlight the love of God in Christ Jesus. But maybe they can't come. What a neat way. Buy an extra ticket for someone that can't afford one. Either someone you know or you know what. If you want, buy the extra tickets and we'll find someone and invite them on your behalf. Awanas is once again putting together goodie bags for Westside Christian Fellowship. The women, among many other things, are helping those often forgotten folks at nursing homes. The men, among many other things, sponsoring a night here on December 5 of music and lights and fellowship. Why not invite someone uh, along who may need a friend because they're lonely, thrown down at someone's gate? Our elders have given us a challenge, an opportunity to give a bit more on a weekly basis in addition, in addition to considering again a year-end gift. And, and you know, let me say this about that. Everything that we give here, every penny ultimately is put to use to see and respond to Lazarus. Missions is far too narrowly defined sometimes. You say even our mortgage? Yeah, even our mortgage. If this building is not a place that the community can come and use and be invited into, if it's not a place for fellowship and love to occur, if it's not a place where the faithful even can be equipped and better equipped to love all the more, if it's not a place where the forgotten and the lost and those who know Jesus can't come and feel welcomed and loved and honored by such a facility, then sell it! And yeah... Do we need to, as good stewards, do something about the debt? Absolutely. If only to stop paying the interest, which goes in some hole somewhere. But even the mortgage, every penny that's here, it's designed, its ultimate purpose is to see and respond and to serve and to love on people in Jesus' name. Every cent. We have so many opportunities here and coming to see and respond to Lazarus at our gate this Thanksgiving and Christmas. And will we? Will we see and respond to Lazarus at our gate? You know, uh, nine chapters earlier in Luke 7, Jesus is eating dinner at the house of Simon the Pharisee, someone considered a righteous man by all indications in the story. He even invites Jesus to come. But after a woman, almost assuredly a woman forced into prostitution to even survive, she throws herself down at Jesus' feet and anoints his feet with her expensive perfume and her priceless tears. 
And the God-man, Jesus, sees her and responds. And do you catch what he asks Simon? The text says he turns to her but says to Simon, asks him this question, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see her? And nine chapters later, in the parable of the rich man in life and in death, Jesus asks the world, especially the faithful, who've benefited from Moses and the prophets and the scriptures and now the raised and resurrected Jesus. He asks them in particular, do you see her? Do you see him? And will you respond? Will we see and respond to Lazarus at our gate? Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, here it comes. Here comes our culture's Christmas. And the hustle and the bustle and the anxiety and the stress and the family tensions and the loneliness and loss, ironically enough, that's especially felt this time of year. Here it comes. 450 billion spent. Mm, Father, as we lean into this cultural force of the celebration of Christmas, would you please keep our eyes clear, clear enough to see and respond to Lazarus at our gate. Father, you've given us so much And Father, may we use it all, all that we are, all that we have, yes, including our money, to see and respond to those in need, to serve our fellow man, to indeed make humankind our business. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand, please, for God's benediction, His good words, the priestly blessing that Paul quotes from the book of Numbers. And both Moses and Paul write, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you his peace, his shalom. In the resurrected one's name, Jesus, amen. amen. Have a great day. Have a great week. Oh, West Bowles, God bless you all. Praise God.